Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks uh, for joining us today as uh, we are in the third week, I think, of our uh, waiting series. And uh, what I've been teaching uh, during this is in those seasons of our life where you might not have all of your time booked up. Uh, and January is kind of one of those seasons where, you know, you get through Thanksgiving, Christmas is all kind of slammed into those couple of weeks, and January it's cold out usually, or snowing, you know, whatever it decides to do, or rain, which that was pretty ugly. Uh, a couple, was that this week? I don't even remember what day it was. Um, and in those moments where you, you're kind of can breathe a little bit, if you don't intentionally fill yourself up spiritually, when those kind of busier seasons or more tense moments come, you're running on empty. And I used the, uh, the image last week of, of people that, you know, constantly run their gas tank to just a barely above the E. And that stresses me out like crazy. Um, I happen to be married to one of those uh, those people, and wouldn't you know it? Uh, yesterday uh, we get in the car to go to dinner, and shocker of all shockers, um, it's doing the. Uh, we have like a, a little screen with the map on it, and it's even showing me gas stations, um, saying where the closest one is. That's how low this got. I also got a couple text messages from church members uh, from with their uh, t- tank at empty as well, just to send me digital stress. So I appreciated that as well. Um, and but waiting is you know and resting and filling ourselves back up. It, that is a decision. And it is one that will not be made by itself or for you. You have to intentionally decide, I am going to spiritually fill today. Because your time, something urgent will occur. Not necessarily important, but something urgent. And you will decide to do the urgent thing and not the important thing. But if you do the important thing, the urgent will, will always be there. And we can move from fire to fire to fire. Um, but we need at this moment, especially in January, February, decide, you know what, let's just take a breath. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is primarily resting because you know you are in the will of God. And finding trust uh, that God knows what he's doing and allowing him to steer you in whichever direction that that. Your com- that he wants you to go and trusting in that process. I remember as a kid, when we would travel to see family sometimes, I would fall asleep in the car. Uh, dad would always leave. We had family in North Carolina, and Dad would leave like at 7 o'clock at night. Not knowing it now, they would give me diamonds. And uh, then I would wake up in a different state. And I would wake up in like Tennessee, or you wake up in Georgia, you know, something like that, and go, Ooh. And then you, you get to your aunt and uncle's house. But I always trusted that dad knew where he was going. I always trusted that he knew the way to get there. And I wasn't, you know, worried in the, in the back uh, seat of the car, wondering if he knew how to get us there. And that's what we're going to talk about today is trusting the driver. And this won't be Jesus take the wheel, okay? This will, but we are actually, that's somewhat biblical. And we're going to be talking about that in Matthew. We're connecting Matthew in the book of Exodus today. And in Matthew 11, it says this from Jesus. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's go back to verse 28 here. Uh, in the Bible, you'll find many times they use Jesus and will teach in using agricultural references because that is the context of, of where he was and the time of, you know, what people would understand. He would say, you know, hey, this is just like, you know, the vines and the grape. This is just like farming. This is just like, and here he uses the yoke image. He says, come to you all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. And the yoke is how you would steer cattle. And he's effectively saying, trust the driver. Trust the one who is steering you. Because if you do that and you learn from me, you will find rest for your souls. It's Rest in the, in the comfort and the knowledge and the assurance that God knows what he's doing. Many times we don't run to this right away. We don't because we, when we are in, when we find ourselves in discomfort, we will do absolutely anything to move ourselves out of that com- discomfort back into comfort, even if it means stepping outside the will of God. Because it's difficult so we try to find ways out of it. When in reality, he's not saying, come to me all you who are weary and burdened because your life's going to be perfect. He's saying, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I am in control. You will still go through difficult seasons, difficult times, but I am in control. Trust the driver. Back in the book of Exodus, Moses is struggling. And he is struggling with leadership. He doesn't know how to lead these people, the Israelites. They're giving him constant headaches. Uh, he goes up, he has a meeting with God, uh, he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes back down, they're worshiping a uh, false god. Uh, immediately upon walking through the Red Sea, they get to the other shore, they start complaining that they're hungry. Uh, Moses has moments where he's just like, why these people? Okay? He's fed up, he's tired. And he's talking to God about where to go next. And so he asks that question, and the Lord will reply, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses says back, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The reason we are different is because you are with us. The reason that we are unique is because you are with us. If, if you are not there, he says, I don't want to go. If you are not in the midst of what these battles and these fights and these, all the, the, they're going to go through some loss and hurt, if you're there, I'm fine. We'll go. But I don't want to go into any of that if you're not with us because that is what makes us different. Then Moses wants to know the name, wants to see his face. And so he continues on in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses says, show me your glory. 
And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. God's going to show him his presence, and his presence is so strong that you can't even make face-to-face contact because you will surely die. In fact, it's kind of a remarkable thing, the, the name of God that is you know, used throughout Scripture. If, usually, if your Bible, if you have a, uh, in your Old Testament, the word is capitalized Lord. It's a, kind of a replacement letter. Um, that is, a, they use Adonai, and it just means Lord, because they can't literally write down the, the real name of God, um, because it was seen as too holy to even write it down. In fact, uh, most uh, modern uh, Jewish people will write G-D, um, just as a way to not have the name of God written down. Um, in the Hebrew, it looks, uh, do I have it up? Yeah, it looks like that. Um, this is the name of God in Hebrew. So, everybody, you're going to learn Hebrew today, okay? Um, it goes right to left. So, the first word is actually that little one. And that's a, you know, that's a Y, basically. The little dots are the vowels. And the one that looks like a table, that's an H. And the one that looks like a 7, that's a V or a W. And then we got another H. And the T and the, the dash... Uh, or the slash, that, that's another set of vowels. And what that is is basically Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H. And that's where we get the name Yahweh. Uh, people argue about the vowels sometimes. So, some, so out of this, you also get Jehovah. Because it's J and Ys are kind of go back and forth in Hebrew. And there's an H and a V and an H. And well, what's, if you have an E and an O, and it's kind of goofy. Um, and the way that you say this actually isn't Yahweh. That's a way that we would do it. Um, the way that you say it, it's how would you pronounce Y-H-W-H? Without any vowels. Try it out. Right? So you have to add vowels in there to make a noise. But in reality, it's eh, yeah. That's how you say it. Eh, yeah. What's that sound like? Like you're breathing. It's literally, it comes from the word breath or is, or presence, it's, uh, my name is your source of life. My name is, uh, yeah, that is my name. And without that presence, that's what Moses is like, I got to know your name, I got to see, God's like, you know my name, it's this, it's presence, or is. So my name is, not was, not will be, but in the present, it is. Is in that knowledge, you, you, you can go back to the scripture now. Um, let's go back to Matthew for me. Verse 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is an intentional decision. Jesus is saying, take my yoke. 
He's not forcing it. He's saying, this will help you. Take my yoke. I've seen you flailing, trying to find your own way. He uses this image because they would know and see this as that's what helps steer or helps give the, the, the animals the direction. And so he's saying, it's just like that. I will give you direction. I will give you uh, the, where you need to go. But you have to trust me and trust that I know what I'm doing. That's an intentional decision to give up control. I am not good at this. There are some scriptures I read and go, I think I'm competent at that. Giving up control is something that I find very difficult to do. So when I read this and I preach this and I say this, I want to kind of openly say, this is something that takes a lot of work and effort. And even when, you know, and trusting, because when something kind of goes haywire in your life, is your first reaction immediately to trust the driver? Or will your first reaction be, I, I need to fix this, I need to put a seven-point plan in, at some point I'll consult with God, but for right now, I have these things put into my life, and at the very end, I'll go, okay, none of that worked, I wasted my time, I said, okay, God, can you help? And God, in his gracious mercy, goes, yes. You know, I've been here the whole time, right? But our first reaction, my first reaction, is usually not take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I'll find rest from our souls. My first effort is to worry about it, be anxious about it, try to find a solution, figure it out. I can, I can work this out. I can do this, put this place in here, put this into here. I can move these widgets and finally get it to where it needs to go. And then... I'm working out of my own power. I get tired and exhausted and weary and burdened. And Jesus says, take my yoke. That's trust. Trust that he's not going to steer me into somewhere that I should not be. Trust that he has his best intention for me. Trust that he knows what he is doing and, and, I, and I don't. A few years ago, um, a few years ago, geez, uh, 17 years ago, uh, when uh, my dad passed away, uh, my brothers and I inherited uh, the family homestead in West Virginia. It's 80 acres, and it's got a house, no plumbing. Eventually, it'll fall down. It's a it's, homestead is generous. Okay, uh, this is where, but we can't do anything with this because that's where all of my relatives are buried. So we can't, in 80 acres, taxes are $200 a year. So that tells you kind of high-value property, right? Um, but we realized, after all those trips, after all those years of driving, we always called it the hill, driving back to the hill in West Virginia, we realized none of us knew the address. Because the way my dad would give us directions, maybe you have people in your family, your life like this, well, you turn left by the Coopers, and then right after Wildcat Mountain, it wasn't called Wildcat Mountain, you would turn in real, but that's what we called it for some reason, you turn right just past that. And we just kind of knew it based off of growing up around, around dad. And we had to find, like, we had to get the, the deed. We had to find the address of this place. Because that's where we needed to bury him. So we drove up to the mountain, and, and we buried Dad up there. And, but we, after all those years, I realized that I fully trusted that Dad knew how to get there. Never really even asked. 
that you go past Aunt Connie's house and you turn, you turn right. None of those people are alive anymore, but that's what that was always going to be, Aunt Connie's house. You go past a supermarket that burned down a couple years ago, very suspiciously, um, but <laughs> Walmart moved to town and our family grocery store burned down. Um, and so we got, I got a lot of backstory in West Virginia if you ever want some fun, some fun tales. But you'd always turn at these people's houses because I, I trusted the driver. And then when, that, when the driver was no longer available, my brothers and I went, we have to figure this out. And, and I think of that like, what in my life am I fully trying to control that God is wholly capable of handling, yet I think he can't? Or maybe it's not that. Maybe I know that he, I know in my heart that he can, but that's not my first reaction. And maybe there, and that's what Moses is saying here as well. He's, he's saying that, you know, these people are driving me nuts and don't know where to go. And God says, I will be with you. And Moses says, that's all I need. Even if I have to deal with all these people, even if I don't know where this promised land is, I will trust that where you are taking us is good. Even if we have to go through valleys, even if we have to go through pain and struggle, if you are with me, it is worth that. I don't want to be comfortable without you. I'd rather be uncomfortable with you. So in our lives, how, how often do we make that decision to move immediately back to comfort, but without God? Do your decisions look different? And uh, what Moses says um, in 33, sorry, 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? You are what makes us unique. Without you, we look like the rest of the world. So what decisions have you made that look different than the rest of the world because that is in the will of God? What decisions have you made about your time? Your, what is a priority to you? What decisions have you made about, you know, uh, financially? What decisions have you made about with your career, about your, your morality, your integrity, that looks different than the rest of the world because the presence of God in our life is what makes you unique? That's intentional decisions because culture will not make that decision for you. Society will want you to look just like everybody else. And if you do look just like everybody else, then is the presence of God with you? Or are we choosing comfort? So intentionally, choosing rest means choosing trust. It means choosing to trust that God knows what he is doing. And that's what Moses is really fighting here. He's saying, I don't know if I can keep doing this. My presence will go with you, and you will find rest, is what God says. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Let's go back to that in Matthew for me. Come to me, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This does not mean perfect life. I think of Matthew. Um, hearing this and then writing this. Matthew, when um, he writes this down, must have been when he heard it, <laughs> that he wrote it down years later, looking back on his life of, 
pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. Now, Matthew, before Jesus, was a tax collector. He uh, was uh, not kind of how you envision it. They, they were seen as traitors to their entire family, to the, their community. They were the worst of the worst. Uh, in fact, other scriptures said sinners and tax collectors. Like they were their own breed. There were sinners here, and then you had tax collectors here. It's like every good lawyer joke, right? You have like lawyers and stuff. But this is a tax collector. Why were tax collectors so uh, reviled is because they were Jewish, and they were taking taxes from their own people to give back to the Romans. And the way that he survived and lived pretty good life is he would take some of that off the top. So he'd charge you a little bit more than probably was technically allowed. He would take the fee from his own people and give it back to the Romans. Decent life, not an easy life. He was, you know, a bit of an outcast, but a decent life. And Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest. All of these guys and the, the apostles, upon hearing this, you know, later on, you know, see what their life was pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. Most were fishermen. Some, you know, worked in the trades. Their life before Jesus wasn't easy, but it was consistent. Now, some will be crucified. Some will be hunted. Some will lose their family. Some will be martyred. Some will be exiled on an island. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. This isn't meaning perfect life. This means rest in the knowledge and the trust and the assurance that you are in the will of God. And I'd rather be exiled on an island with God than living my life in sin without him. And trust in the knowledge and understanding of that is hard to do. You can only really find true rest when you're not controlling everything, worried about it. You know, this, your head is just... When was the last time you didn't have something in your head that you needed to accomplish, figure out, or fix? Can you even... Probably when you were a baby, right? Maybe when you were... A toddler. Somewhere along the way, we lose that. Because we're all, then we, we get a little self sufficient, self sustaining, and then we have to be the ones that are kind of driving, you know. But I remember, you know, when you, you see a little kid and scrape their knees, they fall down, they scrape their knees, or they fall off the bike, or, you know, they immediately, at least, you know, my kids, if a parent was around, they would immediately run and say, you know, fix it. Because at that moment, you are, in, you are the solution to them and their pain. That's what God's lo- looking for here is for us, when we fall, you will fall down, you will scrape your knees, you will get hurt, you will go through struggles, you will go through crisis and chaos and all of those things. But God wants us, when, we, when we're going through those things, to say, Dad, not, okay, here's how I can do this. And just in that yelling or saying, Dad, help, is the understanding that you trust that he has a solution. And there's rest in that. There's assurance in that. Because you know, I'd rather be uncomfortable with scraped knees and busted lips, but near and in the presence of God, than comfortable, but not around him. 
And that takes intention. So my prayer for you today is that you find that moment. You find that that moment of, of rest and of calm and of say, okay, God, is there something in my life that I am holding back from you because I don't trust you with it just yet? Is there a relationship that I'm trying to fix? Is there something at work that I'm trying to handle? You know, I'm just going to hand this over to you. I will take this yoke and allow you to steer this part of my life because I trust you and I trust that you will put me into a good situation. That takes a decision today. It won't just happen for you. And that's my prayer for you, is that you find that time and find that moment. Because it's one thing to hand over the steering. It's another to not be a backseat driver. That's a different sermon. Because we're going to give God the yoke, right? Or God's going to say, okay, you can, you can steer my life. But have you considered... That's, that's a different message. Why don't you pray with me this morning? God, I just pray for my friends and my family here as we, um, this is something we all struggle with. Control, resting in the will of God, understanding that you have what's best for us in mind and that you know the way. May we take that yoke of control joyfully, and first, not the last. So God, I ask for your presence and your will to be done in our midst. It's in your name we pray. Amen.